Hello, Fascination. Tis I, analytical mastermind, Daniel J. Glenn, and you're listening to a preview episode of my brand new podcast called Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies. So over the past couple months, I've been developing this show, and I've assembled an incredible brain trust of scientific minds. I've got superhero scientist and famed physicist, Dr. Michael Denon. I've got rocket scientist, Ben Seepser, and microbiologist, Dr. Brittany Needham. What we are doing is we are taking a look at your favorite pop culture, superhero, and science fiction technologies and deciding, are these possible? Are they happening today? And if not, how can we make them possible? So first up, we've got Frankenstein's monster. And quick warning, just in time for Halloween, you can have your own personal undead servant. We give you all the blueprints on how to do that. Um, it's pretty incredible stuff. So listen with caution, listen with excitement. And if you love it, let me know. You can find me on Facebook at Analytical Mastermind, on Twitter at Daniel J. Glenn, and on Instagram at The Daniel J. Glenn. And do not forget to subscribe to this show on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. So here you are, fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technologies. It takes a look at Frankenstein's monster. Fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technologies. All right, welcome to the show. I am the analytical mastermind, Daniel J. Glenn, but you guys knew that already. What you don't know is who I'm sitting next to. I'm sitting next to my favorite physicist, a genuine certified genius, sci-fi superhero scientist, Dr. Michael Denon. Denon, thanks for being on the program. Great to be here. And I'm also, right across from me, is one of history's greatest rocket scientists that I could get into my studio. Uh, he's a man of mystery. He works at an undisclosed location, can neither confirm nor deny his employer, and is probably paid through some black ops program. He is our enigmatic engineer, Ben Seepser. Ben, thanks for being on the program. Happy to be here. And rounding out this brain trust is Caltech's mistress of microbes, um, the baroness of bacterial biology, Dr. Brittany Needham. Brittany, thanks for being on the program today. Thanks for having me. All right, so I'm going to start this. This is this is a very important question, I think, and it, it's stuff we've talked about before, but I want to know the answer to this. Your favorite cinematic monster uh, Brittany, I'm going with you. Oh, man, I didn't have one ready. I don't know. Let me uh, come back to you, even though that's, you know, it's frowned upon, but I can come back to you. Uh, maybe Godzilla. Godzilla? How come? Well, because I thought of him. <laughs> 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 no, he's intense. He is. Yeah. Old or new? Because the old one's not as intense. Not as intense, but I... I, I it's a man in a suit. Spoiler, <laughs> spoiler alert. <laughs> that's true. I'll still go old. I like it. Okay. So what do you like? The size? You like the, uh, the radioactive breath that he has a kid? What do you like? Uh, the radioactive breath. You're just making this up as you go along. You just yep. want to move on, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Fine. Um, ben, what do you, who do you like? Well, kind of along Brittany, I, I really like the kaiju in Pacific Rim. I think that was... Really? Yeah. I thought that... That's one of my favorite movies. I, I know it's... Not everybody thinks it's great, but I thought it was really cool to see all these super creative monsters that Guillermo came up with. And I don't know, they, I thought they looked really, really cool. Wow. 
It always amazes me when someone that I think is is incredibly smart picks a really silly movie to love. I, it always <laughs> shocks me. Um, I still respect you, Ben, but um, you know. Well, it's got some good engineering stuff in there too. That's true. It, it, you know what I don't like the, the storyline of that movie is so cliche. Oh yeah, no. And I didn't. Did. I'm with you there. I like I like the spectacle of it. Okay, that's fair. Because the technology's cool. Like the mo- the the um uh, what do they call the um the mechs they get into? The, They're awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Oh they have a name. Yeah, Someone's they do have a name, and I'm forgetting it right now. Well, uh, we'll figure it out. Because yeah. the kaiju are the monsters. The kaiju are the monsters. It's oh, a German word, I think. The Jaegers are the... There you go. Hey, oh, there it is. Nice word. Uh, all right, so you like the kaiju. Um, Denon, what do you like? You know, as monsters... I, I assume this will count as a monster. I hope it will. Um, I, I'd have to go with Dracula. Okay. You're going uh, old school. You're I'm going original old school. Original classic universal. Yeah. I mean, it's just, in many respects... Um, he he's kind of scary, creepy, powerful, interesting abilities. Um, just as a as a monster, I think he, he's very very strong. Well, he can manipulate you. He can change form. He can yep. suck your blood. Uh, he's hard to kill. You know, it's all the hallmarks of, of a is. terrible monster. Yep. So that's that's where I'm going. Okay, that's fair. Um, and you didn't just think of that. That was genuine. You're not trying to scoot me along. Right? No, no, that is, that is, I, I would definitely, right. I mean, cause you, you're very specific. You said favorite monster, not favorite, you know, bad guy. Right, right, a, right. A broader class. So, yes. And I believe Dracula does count as a monster. He does. We're, we're yeah. counting it in there. Uh, I will tell you mine is, I love zombies and I'll tell you why I love zombies because it's relatively plausible as far as all the monsters go. You could have some kind of, even if it wasn't like they're dead and they come back to life kind of a deal, you could have, you know, 28 days later type virus-based zombies. Uh, They're scary because if you don't get ahead of that problem, it becomes um, a a bigger problem that you almost can't really recover from, which makes it even more scary. And it also, the movies that they're in really bring out the survival instinct of people. Like, how are human, what is the real humanity? Um, and it's terrible and disgusting to look at, but you also need to survive. So there's there's a lot going on there. Um, anyway, Are you into faster, slow zombies? You mean what would I rather be up against? No, like what you said, my favorite, favorite monster. Are we subgenreing here, or are you just doing zombies? I was gonna say home? basic zombies. I like the fast zombies watching them because I like to see how other people would deal with them. I wouldn't want to personally <laughs> deal with a fast zombie because that's they're really scary. That's intense. I mean, that changed the whole genre. Um, I think slow zombies are probably more realistic, especially if you're going with the undead route because that's a little less G-forces on the body so it won't fall apart in the state of putrefaction or decay, right? Sounds good. I, does the physics hold up there? That does. All right. So why am I talking about all this? Well, we are going to discuss a monster named Frankenstein. Is this possible? Are people doing it? Can people revitalize dead flesh and create human beings? And I got to tell you, the answer is almost a resounding, it's a no, because it's very difficult to reanimate dead flesh. But we are creating things that are very close to, um, to, to Frankenstein's monster. So let's start this. Um, I think we got to go, we got to go with, with Brittany on this. Back, uh, you know, biology first. Okay. How can we bring the dead back to life? Well, let's see. Obviously, we, nobody's doing this, but um, science has, uh, theoretically, it's close, right? Like if somebody mm-hmm. has just died because of a particular organ failing, mm-hmm. um, 
there are, I mean, like we do when you defibrillate, sorry, <laughs> I never sorry. say that word out loud, defibrillate. Defibrillate, yeah. If look, you use uh, a defibrillator yeah. uh, to kind of shock the heart muscles into, uh, you know, functioning the way they're supposed to again. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a, a similar thing could happen in any organ, I guess, if you had a way to quickly solve the problem that had caused the death mm-hmm. or quickly inject healthy cells that can fuse with the live organ and just solve the problem really quickly. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think that's doable, but that would have to be quick enough that you don't have mass damage to all other organs that immediately begins happening when death occurs. Well, death is, so if something is dead, uh, there's the, you know, the definition of dead is also, um, it, it can kind of vary, right? Cause like you said, if your heart stops, you're technically clinically dead but are you not revivable, right? Like, is your, are you beyond the point at which you can be revived? And I think what happens is as the nutrients leave your body, the, the less sturdy, the more fragile cells die first, which is your brain. And once your brain goes, uh, you know, we've kind of been, uh, it's impossible to get that operation starting again. That whole spark of life is really what's, what, we're, what we chase. Um, that's difficult. That is what Frankenstein's all about. But there is actually a place where, um, where people are looking to do this, the Pennsylvania Center for Resuscitation Science. And really bringing people back from the dead is about hypothermia. People who've been brought down, their body's been brought down to a certain temperature, and they um, can be brought back easily from what is essentially clinical death. We can do that. Um, but I think we can all agree that there isn't really much in the way of taking a dead body, digging up a dead body, Frankenstein style, and bringing that back to life, right? Yeah, I would agree with that. Okay. Ben, do you agree? I would agree with that. But did he, was he digging people up, or was he just grabbing stuff out of the morgue? Uh, no, he was, he, well, both. I mean, in the movie, definitely, in the original movie, he's definitely grave digging. Um, okay. And then they pull a brain from a science lab. Um, sounds, like sounds great. Yeah, so so I think that the <laughs> that sounds great. Um, so anyway, I think we can agree with that. However, well, okay, I, 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 can you? I, I want a clarification here. Absolutely. Um, also, I, I feel I feel compelled to mention something, perhaps, so that we're not trolled, and then hopefully I don't get it wrong. But I vaguely okay. remember, since all of my children have had to read the book Frankenstein, mm-hmm. we need to be a little careful. The monster is just the monster. Frankenstein's monster. Yeah. So not Frankenstein the although Frankenstein Stein is was a monster. Well, yeah. But he's the scientist. Okay. And the monster is just his monster. So right. we have to be a little careful cuz any, you know, high school kid who's currently reading it and getting yelled at sure. by their teacher will then troll us, which we don't really want. No, that is that is true. I was going to yeah. make that clarification. <laughs> um, thought it was obvious, but I'm glad that you yeah. brought it to the forefront. Yeah, so we're talking uh, about Frankenstein's monster. And then the other piece, I'm I'm going to go out on a little bit of a limb here, right? If so, here's an interesting question, right? If I have all the parts mm-hmm. that at the cellular level still have their structural integrity, mm-hmm. right? And that that is a trick, right? As you've mentioned. It's, it's the cellular death that's the problem. Mm-hmm. And the brain does tend to go f- first. So if Dr. Frankenstein, you know, got relatively um, intact cells um, and, and then managed to get a relatively fresh brain that the, the neurons hadn't degenerated, I, I'm curious what it would take to start 
you know, the heart going. And if the blood starts going and then the chemical reactions start happening, um, you know, it's an interesting question what that would, would, would be because you would presumably then have a living organism that worked. The nutrients would all be going. But, but you know, what state would there be the brain in? You know, would it be just a blank slate and go from there? Um, so I'm going down a tricky, ethical, black, philosophical hole that we may want to quickly get back out of. No, but this is a perfect segue. Let me, let me. Uh, okay, then I'll just segue to you, Dan. Perfect segue. Because, as I mentioned before, hypothermia is a lot of times we can pull people out of this. There are, there's lots of stories of people who have been clinically dead for hours, which means not breathing, no circulation. They've been at a certain temperature. And so there hasn't been the cellular death. They've been able to be revived up to two and three hours. This is incredible, right? So what you're saying is theoretically, this is your dark path, by the way, Den, and you're going to own this. <laughs> so the dark path you're saying is that if we could find suitable, compatible, freshly gathered body parts and were to sew them together and somehow get the heart beating again, is it plausible that we would have our own Frankenstein's monster? And I think the interesting thing is if you look at it, right, the, the, the difference between taking our paddles, going clear and shocking a person who's been clinically dead for, say, a minute versus what Dr. Frankenstein did is simply the difference of whether or not at the micro, microscopic level the cells are still viable. Right. Right. I mean, so in an odd way, we know the answer to the question. Dr. Frankenstein was oddly correct. The appropriate application of electricity does revive a person mm -hmm. in oh, the very broad sense. Yes. So the question then becomes how fresh and what sort of parts can you put together and make this still work? Right. Um, ben, do you have an engineering solution um, that involves 1.21 gigawatts of electricity? <laughs> well, you don't need that much. Uh, de defibrillators don't, you know, you can make... There are now portable defibrillators that you can see, you know, if you're at like any school or, you know, they just, it's a little box that's on the wall and, <laughs> right. you know, it just has some big capacitors in it and it's, it charges up off the wall and you pull it off and you can shock somebody back to life pretty easily with these things. And, you know, it doesn't take much power. The heart, when you learn about what it takes to kill somebody with electricity, it actually takes very little current to disrupt your heartbeat. So it also, therefore, takes very little current to mm. fix it. Mm -hmm. it's, it's all about a high voltage with not a lot of current at the right frequency and at the right pulse shape to get your heart beating again. Got it. I like where this is going. This is perfect. Okay, so we could do this, right? And as we it, do it. Well, no, no, no. I mean, <laughs> not that. I mean, sewing people together. The dark, <laughs> then it's dark path is what I'm talking sure. about. We're, we, that's possible. <laughs> Thank you for that, Ben. Always keeping me honest. So now we come up to because so as a cheap shameless plug for another podcast of mine, fascinating nouns. I, uh, for the Halloween episode, I'm, I'm interviewing a guy about H. H. Holmes, who's the world's first serial killer. Now, what he did is he created a murder factory in Chicago. Basically, he killed hundreds of people during the Chicago Fair. He was able to take people, kill them, and then dispose of their bodies immediately. Right. So theoretically, someone like that who's working, you know, mad scientist style. If and he was a doctor, by the way. You could go and find four or five different people, kill them, and make someone because uh, the bodies would be fresh. That's very plausible. Um, now, we come to a, an important hiccup in this whole, in Denon's whole big plan here, right? We come with a hiccup here, and that is um, rejection of body tissue, right? So, uh, Brittany, this is a big problem, right? Rejection of body tissue at, yes. the, at the cellular level. How can we overcome that? 
Uh, well, we do overcome it with um, any kind of graphs that are happening. It, a lot of tests go into it ahead of time to make sure you're a match. And so I don't know if you're a mad scientist. Yeah, so what if we're not a match? <laughs> choosing his victims very carefully, assuming there is a functioning immune system in this new host you've created, mm -hmm. then it will immediately attack what is not self, what it doesn't consider itself. Uh, although I don't know in a hodgepodge what immune system, well, it's going to be based on the bones of whoever. Yeah, it's going to be complicated. There's going to be some immune cells that are having it out with each other. Oh, that's interesting. You have like a war on several fronts. It would be like World War II kind of. Like Because normally with a, with a transplant, you have a host and one piece is coming in. Got it. So. so there's like a dominant immune system. That's an interesting point I didn't think about. But we the, got the, this problem. Yes, well, go ahead. That's because the immune system comes out of your bones? Or yes, so <laughs> I mean basically. So if you use a single skeleton, that would dominate. But it, you know, if you're, I really think there's uh, the I, I hadn't thought of that, Dan. That's a brilliant pro problem and challenge yes. is the immune system. So good yeah, job that there. Is, that is, but, I didn't come up with that. Brittany did. That's a good. Okay, but oh, I, Brittany, I, I sorry, got it, I, I got missed it out that. Of I, I thought, I thought Dan had challenged you on what to do with the immune system. Well, but, I did sort of. So I was directly responsible for her giving that answer. But the I other, but credit. the other question <laughs> I would have for the more um, technical people in the room. Yeah. How do you sew all the parts together? Right. I mean, like in 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 the Frankenstein movies, you just see stitches on the outside. But that's the other thing that you you have to get the bones the vessel structure, the nerves, there's a lot of connections in your body. Right. And you have to get those internal connections to happen. So that's that's another practical problem from our dark path. Yeah. No, that is a very practical problem. I agree. Um, what's interesting about this, okay, um, is that right now there is a doctor, Dr. Sergio Canavero, and he has, and people may know the name, but he has been talking about a, a successful well, he's not successful until he does it, but he, he claims that he can do a successful head transplant and that he's done it. He's, he's kind of cracked the nut of being able to get nerves to fuse back together, which is another big problem besides the warring immune system, just getting nerve damage um, to heal back up. He claims that he can do this. And basically, I mean, uh, you know, trigger alert here. There's going to be talking about some graphic things here. So if you want to pause it, you can. Um, but what he's done to, to prove that this works is he's taken animals, specifically a dog, severed their spine, and then refused the spine. Um, so if this, if anyone doesn't sound like a mad scientist, it's this guy. Like he's, he's definitely doing those kind of weird, like uh, Nazi-esque experiments on things and people. But uh, he found this thing called PEG, which is polyethylene glycol. And he has a similar system where he's freezing things to keep them viable, but he claims he can do a head transplant. If that's possible, um, then I think that that's Frankenstein right there, Frankenstein's monster. Um, so we may we may get over that problem. But even if you do that, so just to, just so I understand, so it's your the bone marrow in your in your bones is what produces the immune system, correct? Um, and I imagine that that transplanting a head would have quite a few problems outside of that. Connecting all of that stuff is what you're saying. That's why I'm mentioning this. Is it easy to connect all that tubing and back up? I know you're not a surgeon, Brittany, but you are as close as we can get on the panel. So I'm holding you accountable for an answer. I'll go out on a limb and say it's not easy. The, <laughs> so, That's bold yeah, of you. That's the, very... Theoretically, this could happen. Your it's reputation's all, on the line. It's all chemistry and 
and connecting the right things in the right ways. So if we could understand that level of complexity and time out all of that perfectly so that each piece of this body was in the perfect condition to be able to function together and that they were not going to be incompatible with each other. And then if we were able to connect all the things that needed to be connected, then theoretically that's possible. Wow. Maybe some of the, the so there are neurons and nerves that span along range. So you're going to lose a lot of connections that just can't be con connected again. Mm -hmm. but some of those things could be, um, you know, restored and, and developed after the reconnection happened. And there are scientists growing organs in the lab right now, tr taking tissue or stem cells and making, making an organ for a transplant. So mm -hmm. some of this Frankenstein-y type science is, is underway. But it's out there. It's just so complex. Yeah. Well, I think that is, that's difficult, putting the head back on, connecting all those things. Because I would imagine if you're connecting all the nerves, what if the, the nerve that goes to your arm is now connected to your leg? So when, you're, when you are revived and you think you're moving your arm, you're actually moving your leg. Like, that's a possibility, too. Like, it's, everything is kind of goofed up. Um, so I've got another way to crack this whole thing, right? So that's kind of, in my opinion, that's the primitive way to do it. But now, as, as you've alluded to, Brittany, we have ways to produce this stuff in a lab, but we also have biological 3D printers. So you could theoretically create a, a creature or a monster, or I guess we always give it that evil term, but we could create a, an organism, um, human-like organism, out of uh, a bio, like basically a bioprinting them. Isn't that possible? Again, it's gonna be pretty complex because you're gonna need so many different cell types. Well, I guess if you start, if you start simple and you could program it to then develop itself, that might work better. If you 3D print, you mean 3D print a finished adult? Yeah, like, I mean, yeah. like, because it, it's essentially cloning, right? So one of the systems that they have, um, I believe it is um, BioLife 4D. So the, what they do is they've basically bioprinted a human heart and they do it in cell, cell by cell. It's a pretty incredible process. They take an MRI of your heart. They, they um, do like a whole scan of it. They put it into a CAD file, which is the same thing like the engineers use. Um, ben can talk about that. Uh, and they, they take your blood cells. They induce stem cell state. And then they produce cardiac muscles. And they create a bio-ink and then squirt it in the shape of a heart. and Not like a Valentine heart, like an actual human heart. <laughs> And then they let it grow, and these, these things will they'll sync up, and it'll turn into a human heart. Like, couldn't you do that, like, at, you know, it would just take a while, but you could 3D print somebody, right? Yeah, it'd be pretty hard because you need cells for the differentiated into skin cells and cells differentiated into all the different types of cells you have in your body. Yeah, but it's possible. At a very complex level. But Yeah, I think the challenge, which Brittany referred to earlier, is the ordinary, mm -hmm. right? You, you're... As you, as you described it, Dan, right, there's, you're not just straight printing the heart per se, right? You're using 3D printing, but there's a, there's a step in there that involves stem cells and um, patterning and getting the muscle cells to occur that is unclear how you would do that, like with all the individual pieces once you start building. You know, there's not a clear inside out. There's not a clear... Like, how do you layer this down and, and make it happen? So from a 3D printing point of view, it's certainly if you can solve some of the inside out problems would solve the connection problems because you'd build the connections into your 3D printing. Mm -hmm. 
Right. Right. So that what would be really interesting is do you 3D print sort of all stem cells and what you 3D print is the directions of what to turn into. So it's like a combination of 3D printing and then growing. Well, the way this works is that it's it's a bio ink that that you, it takes your red blood cells, turns them into stem cells, and let's say it wants cardiac muscles. You're building a heart, so then it has like a tube, like basically like an ink cartridge of like cardiac muscles, right? So then you can have like an ink cartridge of skin muscles, or, yeah. or you know, in veins and arteries. But but it's just uh, the the complexity of 3D printing them all in the right place mm-hmm. gets really challenging, I think, which is why. You know, I mean, you can get the heart because you're just making the heart and you're making that structure and it's yeah. all the same cell. Yeah. So I think these fall into the realm of technological challenge, which means probably someday people will be smart enough to do it. Yeah. Ben, what do you think? It'd, it'd be a very difficult challenge. I mean, you know, our best printers now only have, you know, like eight ink cartridges in them. So <laughs> <laughs> eight ink worth of human. Yeah. So, you, you know, I, I, Brittany could pro- probably might know better, but. I mean, there's probably hundreds, maybe even thousands of types of cells in your body. And just the, the level of complexity is just way, way, way higher than what we really have ever dealt with. Okay. So I'm gathering from you a guys, technological perspective. You guys don't like the 3D printing of human. This is this not feasible. It, not currently. I like 3D printing an organ or mm-hmm. something to put into a human, but not, not the whole organism. Okay. Well, so there is a project called the 2045 Initiative. Have you guys heard about this? I have not. So what this is basically, it's, it's kind of taking the head transplant to a next level. It's, it's all about studying, um, it's, it, it's about the cybernetic extension of life, right? So it's taking your brain, it's very Futurama-esque, so it's taking your brain and you're putting it inside of a, ro- a robotic body, like very, it's an av- they call it an avatar, and you use a brain-computer interface called BRI is what they use. So you're basically, after you die, they take, oh, no, right now what they're trying to do, so that's up to 2045. So from 2015 to 2020, they're trying to, be, to create robots you can remotely control with your brain, which they're doing with like drones and things like that. Then the next step is your brain gets transplanted into it Kind of like Krang from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, or, or like, or or Christy Swanson from Deadly Friend, like the ultimate connection and uh, cybernetic brain connection. And then um, what they want to do is create a download of your personality that gets uploaded into a robot. So that's their whole forward thinking. But the first part of the, the second part of that is transplanting your brain into a robot, basically. Um, that's that's an interesting kind of new look at Frankenstein's monster. What do you think, Ben? Uh, I mean, keeping a brain from decaying is probably not impossible in that sort of a situation where, you know, we, we know roughly the environment that exists inside your skull. You know, there's, there's oxygen coming in, there's you know, blood, and, you know, you have uh, you know, the blood-brain barrier that keeps, you know, all the bad stuff out. So it's not totally inconceivable to me that you could keep a brain alive in a jar but interfacing with it so you know what it's thinking and having it not go into a shock or some other weird thing so that it breaks down anyways mm-hmm. one of the interesting things i've read about with the hypo the hypothermia stuff is that you have to be really careful about how you reintroduce nutrients and oxygen to mm. separated cells because if you do it too quickly 
it'll like it'll just go crazy and kill itself anyway. So hmm. there's not it's not just about recreating the environment. It's about doing the transfer property, like the acclimation of it. You know, kind of like when you're you know moving fish between aquariums, you have to you like know, slowly introduce slowly it to the introduce world. it, and so. You'll, you'll probably end up with a lot of dead brains on the way yeah. to figuring it out if, if it's even possible at all. Well, it's interesting to me. It's, you know, we're discussing whether it's feasible or not. What kind of blew my mind is how many people are actually looking into this. You know, there's another company called Reanimatech, which is a company called BioCork. And there's two people there who are really working to kind of preserve neurofunction. So what you're saying is yeah. being able to preserve what, what is memory persistence? You know, like we know how it works in a hard drive, but how does it work in a human brain? Yeah. Uh, but there's so many companies that are like working to revive this. I, that was what was amazing to me. It, it seems to me it'd be easier if you kept the head <laughs> than just the brain. Yeah, because yeah. you know there's only a couple inputs to the head right. ver versus right. the brain. You know that interface is a lot more complex. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and I think what inspires it is we are already able to do the brain, computer, artificial limb connections. Right. Right. Yeah, so yeah. we know we can navigate that space. I think all of these are, are fascinating scale and technology questions, right? As Ben said, there's just so many connections and inputs to the brain. So there's that piece. And the way we do the brain computer artificial limb connection, we're not really using the part of the brain that talks to the limb, mm -hmm. right? We're using the, the flexibility, the plasticity of the brain to be able to figure things out. So you send signals to the computer. And we're also using our computer programming skills. And right. you know, we know there's a simple task, move this limb, so we can get signals to mesh that do that. Um, so it, it's, a, it's an interesting, and then you add all of the other connections, like getting the blood in and keeping it alive. It's more complex than just putting it in floating soup. Right, well, no, I know that. Yeah, um, so, but it, it's, it's kind of, you can see where it's coming from, right? As long as once you have success at a very small, simple scale, brain, computer, limb, mm -hmm. it's natural then to try and go for the more complex one, brain, body. Right. But, but we know from Futurama that Ron Popeil invented the technology to keep heads in the jar. So I didn't. We should, we that's should true. Talk to him about it. We, <laughs> get his <laughs> advice first before we take this next level. Well, I think you, you know. It, it. I think we may have cracked this, Brittany. You can correct me if I'm wrong here, but let me see if I've. I've figured out our engineering process here, right? So we, instead of having the Frankenstein's monster from, you know, lore where we've dug up a body and reanimated it, that's impossible. That's crazy to even talk about. But what is possible is to have either the head or the brain, the human functioning aspect of it that we've, we've figured out how it works via computer. And I think this initiative 2045 project may be the closest thing we have uh, where you take that brain, you can connect it to a computer, and then have a robot that runs around. Because you're not 3D printing organic cells. You know, that's too complex. Um, but if we could have a robot that you don't have to worry about any kind of rejection of the organic matter at an organic level, we could still plug it in. It has all the functions of the original brain, and now it's got a new robotic body. Does that work? I feel like those deal with problems that might be able to be solved. It's, it may be the way people felt however many years ago when thinking about a heart transplant saying that just sounds totally crazy. Right. Um, I feel like these are problems that, you know, maybe, maybe could be answered with a lot of work. So you feel in confident future. in this? Well, I said a lot of maybes in that <laughs> sentence. <laughs> 
So I said, you feel confident. <laughs> yeah. So no, so it's a possibility. But I think that that's our best bet. Are we at least in agreement on that as a solution here? Yeah. I, 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 I still think we can go maybe human cyborg hybrid, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Terminator, go to Terminator first. Yeah, you like, like you know, yeah, yeah. 3D print some of your body parts and other ones you, you, you are robotic and the brain's connected to these right. and you take Ben's idea of just take the whole head so you don't have to figure out as many connections right there's less inputs it's a good point so that's the solution like like cybernetically the, the, the combination of cybernetic and organic is really the future of Frankenstein sure so yes that, okay. with confidence great yep. thank you I love it uh, we've solved it I don't expect any of you to actually work on this um, but at least know that we have figured this out uh, so if you have any questions on this or you have something to add or you've done this yourself in your own private laboratory, how can you get in touch with us, Denon? So I'm at Denon Michael on Twitter and at Prof, P-O-F, Denon Michael on Facebook. That's short for professor. Ben. Uh, you can get to me on Instagram and Twitter at bseepser, B-S-I-E-P-S-E-R. And Brittany. I'm on Instagram at biddy383 or email bneedham at caltech.edu. Does 383 have a significance at all? Oh, no. It's like it does, my favorite it? number when I was in seventh grade or something like that. I don't it's 383? I don't, I don't remember. I, I honestly, okay. no, no right. clue. I won't hold you to it. I don't it. know why I've held on to it. That's, to it must mean something to you. It's, it's a mystical number for you. <laughs> um, and I am on Facebook at, 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 at Facebook at Analytical Mastermind. I am on Twitter at Daniel J. Glenn and Instagram at the Daniel J. Glenn. Uh, this was a big one, guys. Thank you for putting this together for me. You're welcome. And I want to thank everyone for listening. Have a good night. Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies is a Glenn co-production and is produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and Paul Springers with music and sound design written and performed by Paul Springers. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. And please check back into the Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies website, which is www.fggbt.com. And of course, you can check out all of my projects on danieljglenn.com. Thank you for listening.